Today's guest is Andrew Bartlow. Andrew has 25 years of human resources and talent management experience. He is the co-author of Scaling for Success, People Priorities for High Growth Organizations, and leads Series B Consulting, which helps businesses to articulate their people strategy and accelerate their growth while navigating rapid change. How do companies like Google and Airbnb hire and why should startups not use this strategy? As startups grow, what challenges do they face and how can they overcome them? What are the dangers of using OKRs at startups? How do you approach goal setting then? Andrew is here to tell us all about this and much more on the Coffee with a Recruiter podcast. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to do this podcast. I'm quite interested, quite quite a fan of your work and sort of the topics that you cover. Um, it's it's all very interesting. I'm in a startup myself and I'm the recruiter. So when someone really takes this topic and develops it and looks at things like, okay, how should you hire? What about OKRs? Uh, what about the founders? What about change during startups and what they do? That's super interesting to me and a lot of my listeners. So just wanted to thank you for being on the podcast. That's great. Really appreciate being part of it. For, I suppose, the, the people listening, can you give us maybe a little intro to who you are, what you do? And uh, I believe you even, I believe you have a, a book to talk about also, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, well, thank you. Um, well, I'm based out of the San Francisco uh, Bay Area, and I work with high growth companies. So I've been the, uh, the head of HR at companies from you know very small pre-seed to um, you know, public companies and, and everything in between. Uh, 20-something years, more than 25 years in the human resources uh, field um, with a bunch of companies you've probably heard of and a bunch of companies you probably haven't. Um, and over the past handful of years, I, I had a great exit from a real estate tech company that went public and um, uh, got pretty large that I was the head of HR for. I uh, started my own consulting business, working with high growth companies, uh, typically private equity or venture capital backed. I mentor HR leaders. I uh, support CEOs and founders. And I wrote a book about that sort of work called Scaling for Success. And I, can you give us a little preview, sort of like a little summary? Is it, I suppose, of that same experience, right, of, of how to scale a company? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, so it, it's in many ways analogous to Elad Gill's High Growth Handbook. And he, you know, he touches on a number of the people management and organizational uh, tactics and strategies of scaling a company. Um, and whereas he just has you know, a few snippets that are dedicated to that topic, uh, my co-author and I, Brad Harris, um, we dive deep into those topics of, you know, again, how do you how do you organize your startup? How do you recruit for it? How do you um, uh, reward uh, your your team? How do you maintain a healthy culture as you grow? Um, so we we really tried to bridge the the academic foundations where there's been a lot of management research in this arena for many years, and then there are these you know, interesting stories of high profile, really successful companies like Google or Airbnb or you name it, uh, where maybe their their practices have entered the, the popular culture and uh, uh, people love to mirror uh, whatever the latest high flying startup is doing. We, we try to, again, build a bridge between what's really proven 
and some of those anecdotal stories uh, to help the startup founders and leaders be more successful. I find it so interesting that you take, I believe you mentioned some research also in this field and combine it with real life examples, because a lot of times in startups, at least from my personal experience, it's building processes and there's no previous handbook that's there to use. So a lot of people utilize things they've learned that other companies, a lot of times, very big companies, and they try to replicate those same models but in a startup, which is a very sort of different, I suppose, circumstance or context to be in. And I suppose that's one of the things that you, that, uh, well, maybe I'm paraphrasing here, but correct me if I'm wrong, that you kind of focus on, right? Uh, along those lines, at least. Oh, that's right. That's right. There's, uh, there, there are real risks involved in lifting and shifting the practices of some big, well-known organization that maybe was a startup once upon a time, but now has left that many years behind. So if, if you're in a company with 25 people, chances are the people management practices that you're using, the recruitment practices that you're using should be different than whatever Google or LinkedIn or Facebook is doing today, as they have tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of employees. Well, let's talk about those because I guess just to get our sort of our definition straight and what exactly we're talking about, I suppose we're talking about how, you know, some companies, maybe in startups, they maybe maybe some of the employees are ex-Google, ex-Airbnb, and they come in with like that mentality, right? Of, oh, you know, or maybe not even, they, they don't necessarily come from those companies, but they think, you know what, they, those companies, they did this and it seems to be working for them. So let's say... Let's let's copy their model, right? So to begin with, how do companies like Google and Airbnb hire, I suppose at this stage, right? At this stage where they're just massive companies. Yeah, yeah. Well, at, at this stage where they have such tremendous brand recognition and incredible margins, they have almost a limitless pool of candidates that they can draw from. So they, they are flooded by active applicants applying online, just begging for an interview. And that's probably different than whatever early stage, you know, pre-seed funding startup your listeners may be a part of, right? So just generating candidates, generating qualified, interested candidates, top of the funnel recruitment is massively different between these big brand names and a company that's still trying to get off the ground. So you know that that is fundamentally different and informs every part of the recruitment selection and hiring process. And what are I suppose why should startups not maybe use that same strategy? I mean, it sounds kind of you know there. I mean, I kind of see where you're going at there, or maybe it kind of rings a bell. But um, why shouldn't let's say why shouldn't a a startup say oh let's say you know let's let's do what they're doing, what Google is doing, and and see if it works. For example. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Let's let's peel peel apart that funnel a little bit. So, as you think about a recruitment funnel, and uh, you know, I've led recruitment teams and I've built out recruitment teams. I think the largest um, we we hired twenty five hundred people in in one year, um, with uh, with twenty full time recruiters on staff. Um, so that that uh, uh, that type of model at scale where you're dealing with a bunch of applicants 
your focus is primarily on screening the candidates to get to your targeted hire. Um, so you're trying to filter down and pretty aggressively. You'll have more steps in the recruitment process. You may have uh, projects that you're expecting from them. You may have multiple rounds. You're able to do uh, culture-based uh, assessments. You may, may have tests involved. Um, if, you, if you are blessed with a giant pool of interested qualified candidates, uh, the, the company has the power and the company is mostly focused on filtering down to the best ideal candidates. And that's how companies like Google and Airbnb and these big brand names can uh, end up with such great hires because frankly, they just have that many more people to pick from. Um, if you're at a startup, um, you probably don't have a whole heck of a lot of people applying online or going to your website to apply for whatever the job is. You may not even have posted the job yet. Um, so people may not even have any good way of knowing about it. So at a, at a startup where every hire is that much more critical to your future success versus a company with tens of thousands of employees and the next hire is, is meaningful, but not as meaningful at a company that has 25, um, the, the filter is different. The funnel is different. Uh, you're, you're trying to assess for the right skills talents, abilities, experience, approach, um, but, but your funnel necessarily has to be different as well because those candidates are looking at other opportunities and you could lose them very quickly. You don't, you don't have the, uh, the economics to pull them out of a, of a great role somewhere else. You're, you're really selling the, the, the opportunity of your organization. So as you construct a selection process in a startup, uh, you need to be much more cognizant of the, the time that it takes for a candidate, the experience that the candidate has going through that selection process, and know that you could lose them, um, and that there's just a ton of competition for the available talent, particularly in highly technical, highly sought-after jobs. So I suppose coming back to startup sort of hiring strategies, what would kind of be the strategy that, and I know it's tough to really you know, maybe use a blanket strategy. I suppose it maybe depends on the startup and the location, but what are some sort of top, maybe top three tips for startups when they're, when they're hiring? Would you say it's all about, you know, you mentioned time and, 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 and the experience that candidates are having, right? So first of all, focus on a, would you say maybe focus on a, uh, not a bad process or easy process, but a fast process and, and making sure that they have the best candidate experience, sort of what would be your maybe top two, three tips along the way to get started? Yeah, yeah. Um, I'll give you five. I'll give you five tips for startup talent acquisition. Sure. Um, and this is straight out of chapter three of uh, Scaling for Success. So, you know, it really comes down to uh, mapping out your needs and then you're able to build a talent acquisition strategy to meet those needs. So. The, the five tips, I'll run through them and we can dig into them in as much depth as you like. You know, first, have a plan. What is your workforce? What is your plan, uh, your hiring plan? How many people do you need? Where? In what roles? What geographies? What level? And that allows you to predict your needs. So that's number one. Uh, two is clearly define the roles that you're trying to fill. 
if you're not sure whether this is a technical architect or a senior developer or something in between, it's going to be a lot harder to fill. If you're not sure what programming language you want somebody to fill, if you're not sure whether it's inside sales or outside sales, how do you know whether you've actually filled it or not? So number two is clearly define the roles that you're trying to fill within that bigger plan. Third is once you've built your plan and you've identified the, your roles, you can start to construct a candidate generation engine. So this is about filling your funnel, top of funnel with qualified interested candidates. And we can talk about how to do that. Um, fourth is build your recruitment team. That might be a mixture of in-sourced recruiters, some outsourced vendors, you know, a couple of different strategies to build your recruitment team. Um, but you know, thoughtfully construct a, recruit, a recruitment team. Don't just default to, we got to uh, hire a giant internal team or we've got to use um, search for everything. And, and then fifth is be really thoughtful about your selection processes. What fits you based off of your size and your stage and your employment value proposition to potential candidates. Uh, construct a selection process that works for you right now. So those, those are the five tips. I mean, yeah, that you could write a whole book on each of those tips. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such a, what's a good way of putting it. I mean, it's, it's such a, it's such an interesting topic. I mean, we can, we can maybe go through, through each of them briefly, but, but what about sort of starting with the hiring plan? Because I suppose that's mainly in the hands of, would you say the hiring managers and, um, for them to just dictate, okay, what are the needs? And then just just generate a figure, right? Out, let's say, okay, we need to hire maybe five engineers, six engineers, whatever it is this quarter. And then, you know, you start from there, right? Yeah, yes and no. Um, because the hiring plan ends up um, being, being modified based off your budget. So finance needs to be involved or a you know, financial planning and analysis function. You need to figure out what your cash burn is. How many hires can we afford? Uh, what, what's your uh, funding and capital situation look like? When, when are you going to raise? Um, and chances are all of the hires that you know, your various departments or teams would like to make, you can't afford, right? So some choices need to be made and that needs to be aggregated up at the, at the company level. So that, that hiring plan isn't just a wish list. There, there's some calibration. There are typically some decisions that need to be made, uh, and some sequencing around it. So, that that workforce plan is really the basis of everything else, and it requires a little bit of work across different teams. Makes sense. And when it comes to defining the role, I've always found this one to be tricky in startups because, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but a lot of times startups kind of need a generalist, right? Someone that can do a bit of everything, uh, or would you say maybe that's that's kind of the wrong approach because a little bit of everything becomes quite vague in terms of what the exact responsibilities need to be? Yeah, I think you nailed it. Where, where there are different needs at different times. You know, in very early stages, you know, a smart person who's willing to work hard um, can can get a lot done. As you get bigger, roles necessarily get more specialized. And somebody that you know may may have been doing marketing for you for you as well as IT as well as HR, you know once you're at 50 people, chances are you want a professional person with some depth in a single discipline to build out that team. Uh, 
So your, your needs are just different at different stages. And, and that's where, again, some decisions need to be made and, and be clear about what you're hiring. Um, are you looking for the VP head of marketing or are you just looking for somebody to you know, keep the lights on and take on the operational elements where the, the founder hasn't let it go yet? And, and in that case, maybe it's more of a, of a senior individual contributor. So be, being clear about what you're trying to hire beyond just the headcount, it, it's the role profile. And I don't mean a, a five-page legally, you know, heavy legalese job description. I mean just clarity around what does this role look like? What are the five bullet points? Um, you know, what what level of experience does it manage people or not? Uh, is there a geographic constraint or not? Uh, just getting clear about it uh, with the basics. Now let's go into step three: candidate generation engine, because. I mean, can you can you define that and 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 how does that work? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, start with the easy stuff first. Uh, and there are a lot of organizations, you know, especially you know, led by technical founders that don't even know where to start, right? So where do I, where do I get candidates? Um, you you start by working your own network within the founding team. Um, you start by reaching out to your investors for staff. You start by if you're well-funded, you, you can afford search firms, but boy, that gets expensive really fast. And you'll put postings out on LinkedIn or whatever specialty sites you might have. The, the piece that a lot of organizations could take better advantage of are some of the basics around using, using some of the free employment branding tools like Glassdoor or the employer profile on LinkedIn and indeed and uh other other websites like that it, it's free fill it out put a couple of photos on there um share some information about your company all the stuff that's out on crunchbase about your org you know dro drop it in there and create an employer profile where if there's a candidate who hears about you or might be interested in you make it easy for them to learn something about you um and, and then frankly that's that's even more basic and easier to do than creating your own career page on your own website, which you ought to do as well, by the way, but might, might need some backend development work to, uh, to help you with that. So, you know, I actually have a, have a grid in the, uh, in the chapter that I'm talking about that breaks down, depending on the type of hire, there are different activities that might make sense for you, whether it's a department head, or a professional role or an entry-level role, what are some of the tactics that you might want to use? But some of those most common and most core basics are take advantage of some of those uh, employer branding resources that I often see um, you know, early stage startup leaders just neglecting. Yeah, makes sense, makes sense. And when it comes to building a, a recruitment team, I suppose does that because you also talk about how to how to build an HR team at at a at a startup, let's say in 2021, right? I mean, would you yeah. say that's sort of along the same lines? You know, that guideline of building an HR team versus a recruitment team, or would you say those are different things? And how would you build that recruitment team? I suppose. Yeah, frankly, the a, a full time in house recruiter is probably the first HR hire that most organizations have or most organizations should have. Um, you know, the, the office manager or uh, executive assistant is probably doing a lot of the work and, and until you have a full-time recruiter. But 
boy, if your if your alternative is all the generalist leaders who are also building your product and trying to generate sales and you know do everything else are also doing their own job postings and you know trying to source candidates, that's not a super efficient thing to do. Uh, so once once you start hiring ten or twenty people a year, it, it's time to have a full time recruiter in house. Um, your alter- your alternative, if you're doing search uh, fees at contingency firms or or retainer, super expensive. So a recruiter will pay for themselves very very quickly, and they don't necessarily need to come with a a deep rolodex of people that they know that they can plug right in. You know what. What you really need is a recruiter that's willing to hustle, that's willing to do um, candidate sourcing and candidate outreach, and just help drive the process for you. So that that's probably the first quote uh, air quote human resources hire that you bring on board is a full time in house recruiter. And finally, when it comes to the selection process, um, well, here's maybe an interesting one because I think maybe coming back to hiring like Google or Airbnb. You might think, you know what, they're doing like this 12-step process with like, I don't know how many tests, and it takes multiple months to go right. through this process. I suppose, well, how would, would, how would the selection process be at a, you know, the ideal selection process be at a startup? Yeah, it's the, the funnel is probably is certainly more narrow, and the funnel is probably not as long. As it would be at a giant company with loads of uh, uh, applicants for every uh, for every position. So one of the things that you should be looking at in your in your uh, candidate funnel is the pass through rate. And this is something I'm sure that your listeners are are familiar with with recruiting concepts around what percentage of candidates move from one step to the next. So if you have people that express interest in a in a role or you're reaching out to them, what percentage of those candidates make it past a resume screen by the recruiter. What percentage of the candidates that make it past the resume screen make it past a phone screen with the recruiter? Then often those candidates that make it past a phone screen with the recruiter go to a phone screen or a video screen with the hiring manager. What percentage moves moves past that? If you have a really high pass-through rate, you may not be, you may not need that step, right? You're if 95% are getting past the hiring manager phone screen, you could potentially put more people in front of the hiring manager. Um, conversely, if only 10% of people are making it past a step, um, you, you, you could potentially be a little bit more rigorous um, in using the time um, of the hiring manager to interview the spaghetti that you're throwing up against the wall. So take a look at your pass-through rates. It's a pretty common uh, funnel. You'll have some variations, but it's you know typically resume reviews by a recruiter, phone screen, hiring manager, resume review, phone screen. Then you do an onsite. Uh, you probably don't want to do more than one onsite. And in today's COVID world, these onsites end up being um, video anyway. But you don't want to have too many rounds scheduled to take too much time when you're in a super competitive labor market for highly in-demand candidates and you're not a big name company. So you wanna have the express lane for your candidates, um, rigorously screen them, be very confident that you're uh, talking to people with the qualifications uh, necessary for the job, but boy, don't, don't make candidates jump through any unnecessary hoops 
if you don't have a ton of candidates to pick from. And as the company grows, right? Okay, so we're hiring, we're getting a lot of people in, and you know the number of employees is growing. You also talk about what some of the challenges are when companies grow, right? And the, the challenges they face and how to overcome them. Uh, you know, maybe getting from that startup to maybe scale up phase, what would be, I suppose, in your experience, the top challenges that start rising when a company is growing and, and how to handle them? Um, yeah, well, hey, at, at its most core, um, in the words of Marshall Goldsmith, what got you here won't get you there. So that means everything changes. Um, the, the culture of an organization necessarily changes as you move from five to 25 to 500 people in an organization. It has to. Uh, you just can't have the same sort of people management, communication, decision-making processes, um, or lack thereof, that you do at a very early stage company as you do as you move into a uh, much larger with multiple layers, geographically distributed, working on so many more and different things. So uh, process doesn't need to be a dirty word, uh, but often, and boy, I've had this conversation already twice today, uh, there's, a, there's a real reluctance to, uh, again, air quote, change the culture as the organization grows. But if you don't change, you're not evolving. Uh, your growth will be unsustainable. You'll have bottlenecks in decision-making processes. People will get frustrated. Um, with more people comes more complexity. And it's, it's exponentially more complicated as you add more people. Um, so that, that's something that I think is just really fundamental um, that your decision-making processes, your operational processes um, have to change as you get bigger. And once you understand that, it's a paradigm shift. And you're no longer trying to hold on to um, you know, the, the daily town halls and the CEO you know, knowing every person at the organization. Uh, that, that allows you to move into delegating and setting up some rules of the road and some basic policies that helps your organization accelerate rather than slow down as you get bigger. So, so I suppose as the complexity in the organization increases, you need to be a bit more process driven, right? Or along yeah. those lines. Here's a here's a question for you because a lot of times, at least from some of the companies that I've seen, uh, for example, here, here in London, right? Uh, a lot of times companies get really big really quickly and then they start to develop this reputation as a, as a tricky, almost toxic place to work in, right? And maybe what probably happens is maybe they make a few mistakes early on when it comes to a few of the things you mentioned, like, okay, defining your role, your hiring plan, uh, your selection process. But uh, have you come across that particular challenge of, oh, you know, we grew too fast and maybe we weren't too conscious of culture fit or culture ad in the company. So, so you know, the culture got a bit tricky and toxic. I mean, and what would sort of be maybe the solution to that? Yeah, it, I, th I think what you're describing is a really common scenario where organizations grow quickly and they are slow to drive clarity. They're slow to implement some of the processes that help people make decisions and get things done. And that leads to 
you know, sadly, a lot of cleanup work and a lot of knee-jerk reactions where people get changed out, people get fired, um, not necessarily because they are a bad person or a bad fit, but because there wasn't a whole lot of organizational clarity on what was important right now, what should I be working on, what's expected of me. And some of those things, again, are just really fundamental as you operate an organization. As you get more people and more layers and more teams and departments, coordinating all of that, aligning it with what's most important to the company, spending your, your labor budget dollars in the right places, you know, it's, it's hard to get it all together. And if you put it off and, and try to operate with a bunch of generalists who, um, uh, who, who aren't well-coordinated, um, it's really hard to execute that well. And that's where a lot of organizations stumble is being slow to bring clarity to how an organization makes decisions, spends its resources, and where people spend their time. Yeah, I suppose it comes back to, okay, you know, one of the first things that I would think is, and I think you maybe talk about this is that, okay, you hire your recruiter first and and later on your head of people or head of HR and something along those lines, right? That you that you sort of, you know, once you get to that stage where you, you know, really, you know, this hire is crucial, then you pull the trigger and you you hire the HR experts, I suppose. Yeah, it's, um, you know, the timing, timing is a challenge, right? You've got to forecast what your needs are and, and look ahead as, as far in advance as you possibly can. Um, and, and hiring the right person for the need that, that isn't there yet isn't easy. Uh, let, let's, all, let's all acknowledge that. It's not easy. Um, but trying to look ahead and, and getting the resources in place to help you build the infrastructure to help your company operate you know, that, that's where the business leadership is really needed. Um, you know, related to this, to this topic, um, you know, I see organizations move from very little process and structure, like we're, we all know each other, we all know what we're working on, we all know what's important, we're a pretty simple organization, to you get big pretty quickly, and then there's this shock to the system of, oh, we have, we have no process. Um, and there's an overcorrection. I see this happen again and again, where at 100-ish people, maybe 150 people, all of a sudden the organization um, tightens the bolts and they institute OKRs. And we're gonna have one-on-ones and we're gonna have um, a a new uh, values and behaviors expressed for the organization. We're gonna have performance management and, and just all of this bureaucracy gets dropped on the organization. And they, so they're overcorrecting. Um, what I talk about a lot in the book and in my advisory work is you, you want to be thoughtful about what your organization needs right now. And, and typically you're, you're looking at this Goldilocks zone of just enough, or maybe it feels like not quite enough right now. That's probably the, 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 happy, the happy medium where you don't want to have your organization bogged down by too much bureaucracy, too much admin. Um, but you don't want to let chaos reign either. So where so many organizations go as they, as they grow is, is nothing in the, in the form of process, management, and, and structure to totally overdoing it. And I write and talk a, a lot about uh, OKRs and performance management and how that's often you know, really over bloated at, at many early stage organizations. 
Well, that was that was something I wanted to follow up on, and was kind of my next question is the I suppose how startups often focus on OKRs, right? Because I mean, I think I don't know if this is maybe the maybe maybe why startups use it, but I mean, it got popular at one point. I think there was a book published around it that got really uh, a lot of press, and then people started thinking, okay, you know what? OKRs, those are sort of the guidelines that we need to use for you know, planning, whatever it may be, right? Your, your, your objectives for the quarter or every six months or your, your yearly objectives. Um, but I suppose, obviously we don't need to copy paste everything we, we see, right? And really think about it first. So very curious to know from your perspective, um, you know, as startups focus on, on OKRs, what are kind of the, the challenges or dangers of, of focusing on OKRs, the harms, let's say that it can bring and, and and then you know if you if you how do you then approach goal setting then as a as a company? Yeah, yeah, well, great great question and a and a common trap for lots of organizations as they as they start to recognize and acknowledge that they need something to get synced up on and ensure that their work is well aligned and people are getting feedback about about how they're doing. Um, yeah, so the book that you're referencing, Andy Grove. Uh, wrote High Output Management, which got published back in 1983. And it's about the OKR process, which stands for Objectives and Key Results, that he used at Intel. And even in the 1970s, when he uh, applied this, Intel had 10,000 plus employees. So quite large, uh, relatively mature, um, also quite stable organization that probably doesn't sound a heck of a lot like a 25 or 125 person company in 2021. Um, not as mature, not as stable, um, typically doesn't have highly experienced managers, you know, products and services are changing. Um, OKRs are designed for a, a relatively mature, stable organization where you have individuals with some sort of objective result that you can measure. And so it's well-intended and it worked great for them, but this is the perfect example of lifting and shifting a practice that worked really well at the company that it was deployed at, but isn't a good fit for a company that, that's trying to deploy it today. Um, so where organizations would, would better benefit would be to look for a lighter process, something that doesn't involve uh, individual goals and stretch goals that are measured and set every quarter. You know, rather, what is typically a better approach for the startups of today with knowledge workers who work on teams would be company level goals, get really clear about what the key priorities are at the top level for your organization. And if you've got any sort of scale, different departments, different business lines, different functions. Maybe you try to articulate that as well at the functional level. Um, but individual level OKRs with you know 70% being your target and 100% being your uh, being your stretch, like that's it's just overdoing it. Um, and things change too fast where by the time that you actually get through the exercise of writing down your OKRs today, the, the five things that you've listed have already changed and are no longer relevant. Um, it, it's just not a great fit for most startups today. So 
much lighter process, much more focused on the few key priorities at the top of the house, that tends to be a much more useful fit around goal setting and performance management for the startups of today. Makes sense. And I suppose just a little, a little follow up on that question, because so if I understand correctly, okay, at the company level, you need to set clear, I suppose, objectives or, or, or goals rather. Um, but then at, I suppose not necessarily at the team level or, or individual level, I suppose um, that could be a bit more flexible. And I suppose would the reason for that be, well, because at the team level at a startup, priorities often change and and what you do today might change tomorrow that sort of stuff or what would you say to that yeah hey bottom line it's a judgment call like i'm, I'm not trying to sell a specific approach around performance management and in, in all of these elements of people management and organizational uh, uh operating philosophies you should apply a critical eye towards what will work for my company in our context right now and you can get ideas from some of the books and, and authors, including myself. I have some ideas to share. Um, but if, if an organization is looking for a playbook and trying to apply what somebody else did, very often those best practices can be dangerous and even damaging. So being thoughtful around, uh, okay, is our organization big enough and complex enough and different enough at the department or functional level to articulate our own goals? Uh, do we have the time to do that? Is it really a value add to do that? You know, just think it through before you lift and shift somebody else's practice. Um, I, I think that's all that said, um, there, there, there are a few magic wands. And one of those magic wands is a one-on-one. -on -one. Like that, that's just the most basic thing around managing people and managing teams. If, if there's a team manager with direct reports, that manager ought to be in regular communication with each of their direct reports. Um, and, and the more that an organization of any size can do to encourage regular, frequent, high quality one-on-one -on -one contact and feedback, the more likely they'll be successful. Um, so that, that's something where I, I offer some suggestions around how to have an effective one-on-one. -on -one, and there are plenty of authors out there that do even more in, in that space than I do. But um, uh, for a smallish company, high growth company, get really clear at the top of the house what your priorities are and lean heavily on management one-on-ones. That'll take you really far uh, and, and try to avoid overcorrecting and installing too much bureaucratic administration by using OKRs. That's that's a pretty high level recommendation. Absolutely. I um, I guess to... to... To wrap up, I kind of feel, I think it's funny how, you know, I would be asking you as, a, as someone at a startup, like, you know, Andrew, what would be the playbook or the handbook for, for X, <laughs> Y, and Z? Yeah. And I think your answer is more like, well, actually, that's kind of the problem. Don't try to copy paste a handbook that you see lying around. Yeah. Actually, think very deliberately about what it is you're going to do. And these are some tips on how to think about it, I suppose. That, that's exactly right. I, I, I need to write an article called, yeah, I've, I've uh, used this phrase a couple of times, there's no such thing as a best practice. Like mm. Everybody's looking for the playbook. Everybody's looking for the silver bullet. Like, where's the test that we can give to candidates to say whether they're a good hire or not? Like, it, it just depends. And there's no substitution for critical thinking about what works for my company and my context in this particular time frame. 
and, and thinking through it. And if you're a founder that's a, a first-time founder or a senior leader that's your first time, boy, leaning on some advisors who have been there, done that, or hiring a team that's been there, done that, that, that can help you avoid so many stub toes, um, help you accelerate so much faster. So really look for some folks who have that, that critical thinking uh, skill and some experience to lean on. Uh, and that'll help you be a lot more successful. Absolutely. Well, Andrew, for more information about yourself and what you do, where can we go? Yeah, well, thanks. Um, I operate Series B Consulting. Uh, my website has the same name, seriesbconsulting.com. And I run a uh, executive education program for HR leaders called People Leader Accelerator, uh, website of the same name. So would love to connect on LinkedIn or through either of those websites. Absolutely. And for the people listening, I've added the links in the episode description. Andrew, thank you so much for being on the podcast. It was a real pleasure. Hey, thank you. It was great fun speaking with Andrew. If you like this podcast, then please subscribe or follow. Also, feel free to share this podcast with a colleague that might be interested in all things recruitment, HR, and careers. Thanks again and stay safe.